0: You're walking in the woods. There's no one around, and your phone is dead. Out of the corner of your eye, you spot him. Shia LaBeouf. He's following you, about 30 feet back. He gets down on all fours and breaks into a sprint. He's gaining on you.
1: Shia LaBeouf.
0: You're looking for your car, but you're all turned around. He's almost upon you now, and you can see there's blood on his face. My God, there's blood everywhere. Running for your life from Shia LaBeouf, he's brandishing a knife. It's Shia LaBeouf,
2: lurking in the shadows. Hollywood superstar Shia LaBeouf, living in the woods. Shia LaBeouf, killing for sport. Shia LaBeouf,
0: eating all the bodies. Actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. Now it's dark, and you seem to have lost him. But you're hopelessly lost. Ladies in and gentlemen, welcome Scramed to
3: Fantasy Bookers. This is an Ookie Spooky Extra Halloween episode. I'm your host, Marlon Philgens. Today we have Susie, We have Joey. And we're reviewing Kane's See No Evil. Now, this is not the greatest horror movie of all time. This is the best horror movie of all time. Agree or disagree? No, absolutely
1: not. <laughs> what, what what drugs are you on? I think you are on Kurt like. Three days, and now all of a sudden this is the greatest movie of all time? No, this is garbage. The psychological aspect of the the childhood trauma manifesting itself in adult life, that aspect of the movie was fascinating. But everything else? Oh, for fuck's sake.
3: You mean you don't like how they brought up psychological aspects like that and ignored all of it by being dicks and having the bad guys win anyway? And in this case, being very literal in pissing in the eye of the victim during the credits of the movie.
2: Uh, so many eye sockets. The very beginning with the eye sockets, and then the uh, gross which, is not scary. It's just gross. Which to so let you guys <laughs> at, at home
3: know, see no evil. Turns out that's a pun. I forgot. See no evil is Kane just stabbing his thumbs into people's eyes so they literally cannot see the evil and he, that's his thing for the entire movie that. Freddy Krueger has his claw, Michael Myers has his mask and like his jumpsuit mechanic thing. Kane'll just poke your fucking eyes out and run for mayor. That's what he does.
4: A and, true American politician.
2: A true American politician. Speaking so, of which, do you think do you think he would have been mayor if his opponent would have shown clips of this movie to the Knoxville public?
3: I, I think it was, he was scared to be a landslide at that point. I'd, I'd vote for America for this movie. I'd feel bad. Like, wow, this guy needs the cash. Here you go. It's unfortunate that he's Republican, but ugh, I feel like he didn't show it because it would just give him more promotion. There's no such thing as bad publicity, and this this is a pretty solid chunk. I'd laugh my ass off and then vote for this guy.
4: Plus, I mean, it's pretty much writes itself in the counter campaign. <clears throat> my opponent thinks that showing my serious side is a downside. He doesn't know that I'll go to any lengths to take out the opposition.
3: Right. And then have him like Photoshop him like poking his opponent's
4: eyeballs in or some shit. Yeah, just like his opponent's campaign poster on like a doll.
2: I meant the scene mainly where he has the tattooed girl in a cage and then he starts jerking off.
3: That was.
4: Oh, sorry. I didn't realize we were reviewing Black Snake Moan.
3: (laughs) I wish that guy ran for mayor. All right. So we should probably start with the premise of the movie here. Which is a bunch of kids who I think are either in juvie or they're grown adults in some weird program where they have to, like, help out, I guess, old hotels or something. Anyway, they wheel these kids in for free labor so they could clean up this hotel and there's a person living in the hotel. That person is Cain. And there, that's your plot. Cain sees kids. Cain's what pokes the eyes out of kids. But there is one issue. Cain has a thing for religious imagery. This one girl is covered in crosses, so she gets special treatment. She also has black and red hair and fishnet shirts, and I don't know if that was reminiscent of anyone to the rest of you. Nothing a little extreme <laughs> about that. Alright, cool. I'm or just Anita. still no. stuck
4: on the fact that someone named that calls himself Kane likes religious imagery. I mean it just I don't I don't see the connection.
3: He responds like a vampire, except instead of shying away and burning, he just kinda just cries and jerks off. And I am glad the movie didn't have more of that. So instead we got more sweet kills like like that hook to the freaking jaw and then we have like the stereotypes like the comedy guy and but it's a cliche. The movie's one big girl's cliche. It's one Marlon, big I cliche. want you All to know.
4: I that it's starring Kane. That sentence you just had is going in like our best of clips.
0: <laughs> instead he just kind of cries and
4: jerks off. The
3: original script for Twilight, they didn't want to get sued, so they had to change it to sparkling.
4: But, all yeah. right. That's, <laughs> I that in my brain ass, and so he just uh, so he just sparkled and jerked off. <laughs> I, again, I'd watch that one.
3: But anyway, that's the very thin premise of the movie as it is, and they kind of set it up in the first 10 minutes. What follows is a series of following these characters from room to room and attempting to get to know them through what I think is conversation and witty banter, but is really just time-wasting while Kane looks for more holes in the walls and jerks off to them some more. So, with that in mind, what was your favorite Kane off scene, guys? Oh, yes,
1: man. Uh, <laughs> none. Zero. The answer is none. The answer is absolutely right. zero. Um, on, a
3: more, on a more serious note, of all the cliches, you have your black guy who is just scared to be there. You have your funny kid. You have your big hit jerk bag who just wants to beat on other people who's clearly been abused his whole life. Who was your favorite cliche in this movie?
2: Are you talking about the other serial killer that saves the day at the end? No, I'm (laughs) talking
3: no, that's talking about, yeah, fuck that guy. He's one. He's one of them. But of all the potential victims in the movie, who was your favorite? Or rather, who was your favorite death? It could be both.
2: Oh. Well, there's there's the cop who they claim that's the that's the reason why they invited these kids in the first place, right? Because this cop stopped Kane or what is his name? Jacob Goodnight. And I didn't even (laughs) They don't even mention his name. I didn't even know his name until the end credits. They mentioned it, like, first in
3: the beginning, and then I forgot. I just kept him Kane throughout the thing. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's Kane. It's Kane again. It's Kane again. Kane's jerking off. Kane has, yeah. what, fuck belts? Where anytime someone's fucking, their bell will go off?
4: But it was... I mean, yeah, it's not hard. It, you just tie a it, piece of rope to the bottom of the bed. He oh. did it to every bed in the hotel.
3: Like, it's a bat signal. Like, a bed goes up. Oh, my God, I'm gonna kill a guy. Da-da-da. And he signs on the pole and gets in his
4: killmobile. Mm-hmm. So, like, Having not seen the movie and for anything I chime in on, everyone should know I have not seen the movie. What would he do if he like just finished jerking off, crying and killing, and like it, the next one went off? Man, I need 20 minutes to recharge.
2: <laughs> I mean, he's got access because he can access everybody through the walls that they talk about and through the mirrors. Cause everywhere is a two-way mirror. So he has access yep. and everything's tripwired. So he he like and it's amazing people don't go tripping everywhere from all this tripwire. But everything sets off a bell that he has behind there. So he knows where everyone is at all times. So if he wants to take Holy 20 Holy shit, minutes, that's
4: real? I was actually joking when I said that. Yeah,
2: if he wants to take a 20-minute, you know, jerk-off break, he can be like, okay, you do your thing. I know where you're going to be in 20 minutes.
4: Oh, God, Hi. it hurts me that I got that right by accident.
3: Oh. <laughs> all right, so in addition to the cliches, of course, you mentioned we do also have this cop. And this old lady that I guess is this caretaker for the hotel who isn't suspicious it's, at all,
1: and it's that's also his mom,
3: which is revealed later in the movie as some kind of twist that we're not supposed to see coming. But she's she's his mom, and she, you know what? I feel like I've been talking too much. Who wants to describe this part? Go ahead, uh, Susie. Which, I'll
2: leave this part to you.
1: Oh God, which one?
3: The, the mom part where
1: she. Uh, just the mom in general? Alright, so yeah. this batshit crazy bitch is fucking- she is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, and she basically tortures and abuses her son into killing people that she thinks are evil, and she like, you see flashbacks of him like, getting his eyes washed out with like, hot water and bleach and all this other fucking abusive garbage. Like, she plucks the eye out of his first girlfriend, that she has tied up in his bed when he's a teenager, because she's a slut apparently, because she had sex with him. And it's like, if Good. she's a slut, so is your son. But instead of like having a conversation, you rip out this girl's eye and show it to it.
4: That was we're going, one of the going to old school biblical up. times here. His son is not a slut. His son is just doing what men are supposed to. How dare she let
1: him? Her being like the evil, if you will, like she's the evil and her being abusive and torturing her son and all this stuff. It's supposed to make him seem more sympathetic than he really is. And I hated that shit. It's like this guy is fucking insane. And he has like a bullet hole in the back of his head that has like bugs in it. That's fucking gross. How is that this, not healed? This whole movie was just gross. <clears throat> like, just, the word is gross. And like Jerry said, gross is not scary, it's just gross. This movie yeah. was just gross.
2: Wouldn't say, maggots living gross? in the back of your head kill you? Yes. Hmm. It absolutely wouldn't. <laughs> well, I mean,
4: maybe, it depends on how deep in. I mean, maggots are a carrion eaters, so they don't typically eat healthy flesh. That's, like, why they use them on, like, certain people, like, burn victims. They'll pour maggots on because they'll eat the dead burning skin, uh, but leave the fresh skin behind. But, oh, so I mean, saying, odds are getting really infected.
3: So saying he might not be using this as some kind of treatment. It's very possible. Like, he'll just
2: eat the shit out of the I don't about. know what the it's fuck thing. it's
4: treating, but yeah, sure.
2: So, I guess I'll <laughs> feel a little better knowing that Kane, even if he succeeded in this movie, would have died maybe a few months later from a brain infection. That's good to know.
3: You did touch up on one thing, um, sorry Sorry that I cut you off earlier, Susie, um, that the irony of this movie is that Kane doesn't want anyone else to see evil, but Kane is very much, we should call him Jacob Goodnight, fuck it, he's Kane, he's the only person aware of anything in the movie, he's the most aware, he sees everything in every room, he knows what everyone's doing, he sees everything, but doesn't want anybody else to see anything? That kind of selfish shit that he gets from his mom. Although I did find it funny that when he did finally see his mom for the evil that she was, he had this cathartic moment where he yeets her into a wall and killed her that way. I and feel he...
1: like that's I feel like that's the typical cishet white dude fantasy. Like the fucking Yeeting your mom into a
4: wall? That's a very oh. odd one, I'm not gonna lie.
1: <laughs> I it really is. I there's the white dudes that I do hang out with, they seem relatively well adjusted, but like most white dudes like the white dude like dude bro crowd like their ultimate fantasy is killing their mom it's very strange it's and it's like it's Freud is has been proven to be incorrect like his theories and his methods and whatever but a lot of what he like the foundation that he built his work on was true and that is that you learn a lot about how to treat people from the way your parents treat you it doesn't stem so much into like your sexuality and things like that like he said it did but it does reflect it does impact the way that you treat other human beings and how you allow yourself to be treated and you know okay fine but at the same time what the fuck
2: i agree with you on two there's two points like, did Kane need a backstory in this movie? Couldn't he just bend the vicious killer in the first place? Like, why do we have to humanize the killer? That's why I hated about the, the Halloween Rob Zombie yeah. remake. It's like, you don't yeah. need to humanize Michael Myers. Michael Myers' appeal is that he's, he's just this killer. That's all he is naturally. He, there's, no, there's no rhyme or reason behind him. There's no remorse. He's just evil. Like, why well, can't Kane just be evil? That would make a little more sense. Also, the fact that, like, so he would kill this mo- his mom that's been traumatizing him since birth, but he still, like, does everything she says, and then he conveniently kills her over some girl that Kane was holding captive for, what, a couple hours? He probably had his breaking point. I is, guess.
1: Everybody I, does I, have one. That uh, is true. And I think, I think that this entire movie... It, this also, it's like the Marine. It reeks of the Vince McMahon vanity project. Like, I feel like Vince McMahon is like the cishet white dude in this story. And his ultimate fantasy is like killing his mom. And he can't because she's Whoa. dead already.
4: Please, please, please don't conv- compare with Vince McMahon to your average white guy. I mean, come
3: on. <laughs> It doesn't just stop at mom's either. I mean, I just watched uh, It chapters one and two last night because I couldn't sleep. And the bad guy, of course, wants to kill his dad. It's always some abusive parental figure in this situation. There's always some abusive parental figure that someone wants to achieve catharsis by killing. And it's always, in horror movies, it's always the bad guy. Or even in superhero movies, you have like Spider-Man villains doing this shit. And it doesn't help that this movie doesn't understand what it's talking about since it just ripped off a plot line from Friday the 13th. This is the exact same plotline from Friday the 13th. All they did was add a hotel and eyeball gimmick. They're they're trying to talk about something important, but they don't know what they're talking about. And that feels like the WWE all over. You don't know anything about psychological trauma, but you're putting it in your movie anyway because you saw it in another movie and you feel like that's what's popular. But that said, so the movie just becomes a series of killing characters that we don't like. At the end of the day, it becomes, here's all these people, not a single likable one among them, except maybe the one girl, except she was in an abusive situation. So we more feel sorry for her than anything in this regard. She doesn't really have any character traits of her own. And then we kind of, like, speed rush through death after death after death and creative death until we get to the end where the survivors are this girl, her abusive ex-boyfriend, and not the cop. There was a third body.
2: It's her one friend that's telling her, telling the cop in the beginning, hey, protect this girl from the abusive ex-boyfriend, and then the cop does nothing. Yeah,
3: the cop dies, and the abusive ex-boyfriend lives, and I guess he's supposed to be, he shows no redeemable qualities. He's like, yep, I guess I survived that. I'm going to go back to beating on you now, if that's okay. And then, then the movie ends. Oh, <laughs>
1: they, and then the, the white guy, the white guy is the hero. And he walks out of the hotel at the end with the two girls and goes, I didn't want to walk out of here alone. Okay, so everything that you do is self-serving. You're just a shitbag. Fantastic. (laughs) And you're the hero that I'm supposed to be cheering for because you're the one living white guy. Yeah. Fantastic.
2: That's I mean, the main problem is what how Marlon described the one victim that we know in this that Kane kidnaps. Yes, she's been abused for a long time. She's in jail because she was betrayed by this abusive ex-boyfriend who is the one at the end of the movie that saves him and is supposed to be redeemed from this one act. Yeah. Like no, she's not just going to go get abused again by this same douchebag. When earlier in the movie you show it, like it's shown that he puts her in the chokehold and and says, like, you better listen to me or whatever. Oh, Our but you that's redeemed at the end of the movie. And its I feel like this movie was written by somebody that just wants to stick it to any kind of viewpoint they see. Like, there's the one girl who's vegetarian that's nice to the dog in the beginning, but then the douchebag who saves the day throws a can at the dog. But who was the wrong one? Oh, it's actually the vegetarian that was being nice because she falls down a roof, breaks her arm, and then the dogs eat her for whatever yeah. freaking reason there is. <laughs> This
3: cruel irony for no reason.
2: Yeah. And then there's the cop who who it seems like the movie is built around in the beginning because he's the one that stopped Kane in the beginning. And so you're like, okay, he's the one person that knows this killer. He's the one that can help them out of this situation. And then they kill him right away. So goodbye (laughs) to that storyline. That was worthless. That was the one horror trope that did it right, though. They gave
3: us hope and then they took it away. Here's the one guy who stopped him before. He can stop him again. Oh, fuck, he's dead.
1: And so that was I, the one thing that hit right for me. So I don't watch horror movies. Like, I don't like to be scared. Marlon likes to be scared. He enjoys this crap. I don't like horror movies. I actively avoid watching them. I don't enjoy them. They're not fun for me. So, I literally, like, every time somebody was, like, being murdered or something gross was happened, I had, like, a flannel shirt over my face, so I couldn't watch it, because I was either grossed out or traumatized. Pick one. But, I, this movie was, like, just, it, it felt gross for the sake of gross the same way the Saw movies We're gross for the sake of being gross. Like, it's not... I'm not scared for these people. I just feel sorry for them. And that's... I feel like that defeats the point of a horror movie. And I understand, like, maybe I'm not the expert here. But I think that if you're just, like, gross, you're not scary, you're gross. And at that point, are are people just, like, disgusted by the grossness and mistaking it for fear? Or... Are they actually, like, afraid of this very implausible scenario? I mean, they're cleaning a hotel, and the cleaning supplies are dirty. The cleaning (laughs) supplies are dirty. What the fuck?
3: Someone should have been brought in to clean the cleaning supplies before they handed it to them.
1: Just fuck this this entire movie, this hot garbage. Marlon isn't allowed to pick the movie for the next month.
3: In that regard, I have some good horror movies to show you now that you've seen a bad one. There really is a difference, and you're right. There's a difference between gross and scary. This doesn't compare to the horror renaissance we've had recently with, like, Midsummer and Her- Hereditary and The Witch and the like. Those are actually very well-written movies, as opposed to this, which was just Saw did this. Let's just be gross for a bit. Saw's gross. We so could be gross. People don't like gross. So it was Saw. It was, what else was that at the time? Hostel. Hostel was not a popular one. Anything involving gross torture porn shit, they even coined a phrase for it. Alright, so Torture Porn was really popular at the time, especially the Saw movies and Hostel and the like. And not gonna lie, I kind of gravitated away from horror of that time period because of it. I prefer things that are actually scary, and of course this wasn't one of them. It's just more gory shit that people are like, ooh, blood and, like, fake corn syrup's happening, so I guess I should watch. This is more for people who just want to watch special effects and gross shit happen, but it doesn't even really have that going for it, as you remember Kane falling at the end and turning into a CGI puppet. That was obvious as fuck. So I felt no catharsis of him dying there. Because it was a fake one. It wasn't even the real cane. It was a CGI thing that fell through a bunch of windows. And it became a PS2 rendering. So it didn't even have that going for it. It wasn't well written. It wasn't. It was downright right offensive at times. And worst of all. It wasn't even scary. So good news is it was a really solid comedy. If you put it over there I think we're set. But. No, if WWE wants to enter the movie game, they're going to need better writers than the same ones they have for their shows. With that in mind, bringing it back to the, <laughs> the WWE for Kixies, just for a palette pencil to wash that out of our mouths. Let's go over Bret Hart's greatest matches or at least our favorite Bret Hart matches. Joey, let's start with you.
2: So I picked WrestleMania eight, Roddy Piper and Bret Hart. And personally, I don't think it's the greatest Bret Hart match. But I remember watching this as a kid and absolutely loved it. And then I remember the promo going beforehand because I remember Roddy Piper saying that Bret Hart wasn't potty trained until he was seven, talking about how he knew him growing up, which I loved. But now I realize that Roddy Piper completely carried that promo by himself because (laughs) Bret Hart wasn't a great talker quite yet. But then I remember the match and I remember Bret Hart getting bloody really in 92 when you really didn't see blood barely at all. and than pinning Roddy Piper, and where Roddy Piper didn't take a pin, I don't think beforehand in WWE.
1: It, they called it the 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 passing the torch match. That was like the the big the big thing. Oh, you know, if, if Bret Hart, if Bret Hart wins, if Brett Hart, if Bret, is Bret Hart going to take over? Is he the new the new it guy? And that was it was a very transitional match, and you felt it. While the match was happening, and Rodney Piper did carry not only the promo, but a lot of the the everything leading up to the match itself. Rodney Piper did a lot of the work, because Bret Hart, wasn't, he wasn't good on the microphone, he didn't have, he had a ring presence... But it didn't translate to the story that he was trying to tell. Not yet, anyway. Bret Hart was always my favorite because I like the sharpshooter. That was fantastic <laughs> for me. So watching Bret Hart matches is just exciting for me. I enjoy it so much. But he wasn't he what he wasn't Roddy Piper caliber when this match happened. And I I still enjoyed it. I I love Roddy Piper. Too, it, almost as much as I love Bret Hart. Don't tell Marlon. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm right. I'm hosting the episode you're in, so I'll pretend I didn't hear it.
1: And so I, I agree. It's not like the greatest match, but it's still it's so much fun to watch.
2: And that's absolutely, what, I mean, yeah. this was, this was Bret Hart's second IC title win. I mean, the first one goes to SummerSlam 91, where he beat Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning. And that one, honestly, we could add to the list to be another top, Bret because there's so many Bret Hart matches. I just remember this one standing out as a kid, where I think I became a Bret Hart fan, was after this match. I could see why. That makes,
1: mm-hmm. that, oh yeah, that absolutely makes sense. I would be too, if I wasn't already. I also... I didn't under, like, I didn't appreciate, like, the Intercontinental title when I was a kid. So watching, I know, I know, shut up. The best one. (laughs) I know, shut up. But (laughs) re-watching this match and watching Bret Hart kind of, like, reclaim, take his crown as, like, mid-card king, that was really cool.
3: See, I didn't even know this was up-and-coming Bret Hart. That makes it even better. This is like up-and-coming mid-card King, You're right, The Miz, Daniel Bryan, Era, Chris Jericho, Bret Hart. This is... His, he, Randy Piper is the... He's the veteran here. This is the Roddy Piper that I remember growing up because I was too young to remember him in the 80s in his heyday. I saw that when I was older. This is the Roddy Piper when I, that I first saw on TV, it's the Bret Hart that I first saw on TV. And I didn't realize it until now. Roddy Piper's not the greatest wrestler in the world, but he is good at putting on a show... And you put him together for a guy who's shit at promos, but it's great at putting on a show, and you're gonna have some intense chemistry here. So, all the spot moments, the character moments, like Roddy Piper holding the rope so that he carefully gets in the ring, shit like that, that's Roddy Piper. And then you have the actual ring match shit, and that's Bret Hart, and it works so well here. I see why he chose this. Oh, okay, so that <laughs> uh, i'm watching I'm, I'm also watching it now because i like having it on the screen as you guys are talking about it and you're just kicking ass and it's great so instead of watching this whole match Susie, on your favorite match your favorite bret hart oh, match man.
1: oh man so bret hart is like my favorite wrestler of all time and stone cold is also my favorite wrestler of all time i literally picked this match because it's my two favorite people of all time. It's the only reason. And Survivor Series was one of my favorite pay-per-views. I always loved, like, the Survivor Series-style okay. match. You can shit on this match and the story and everything else. Like, it's not, it, like Joey, it's not the greatest wrestling match of all time. But I love this match so much. It's It really is one of my favorites. And I picked it just because it's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Can I take you
2: both down memory lane for this match?
1: Of course you can.
2: My seatbelt's on. So this, this match, me and Tony both got back really into wrestling around 1996 and started watching WWF, more than WCW at the time. We watched a little WCW, but mostly WWF. But Bret Hart wasn't there when we started watching again in 96. He was on hiatus. And this was the match where he came back, and we were like, Stone Cold Steve Austin, why like we didn't understand we didn't get because we were kids we didn't we weren't like the big fans of like the the austin 316 then because he was still a heel to a little kid so (laughs) and brett hart is is the face of the company like brett hart was you you don't go against brett hart so we were so excited to see brett hart back and not to mention that the fact that that survivors 96 show as a whole is excellent and one of the best shows that wwe's ever put on but this match is so clean. Both guys are... This is back when Stone Cold Steve Austin didn't have his neck injury, so he could really wrestle in the yeah. ring. Like He had a different style entirely. So both guys, every move is crisp. Like You can see a couple botches in the Roddy Piper-Brett Hart match. There's not really a botch here. The only problem, really, with this match is that you compare it to their WrestleMania 13 match, which is possibly the greatest match of all time.
1: I so, it, so that's
2: a tough comparison. But this match is so good.
1: I, I love it. I literally I could watch this match like on loop for hours, and I would find something new to love about it every single time.
0: Like
3: a sweet ass attire. I think it's my favorite Bret Hart attire.
1: It is your favorite Bret Hart attire. You just you <laughs> you didn't know that.
3: <laughs> I didn't know I didn't know it was the match. This is the match it's from. Yeah, the solid dark. P- pink yeah that's a good looking pink It's the black and everything it's also after going from the last match we get veteran brent hart now they're replacing veteran roddy piper against up-and-comer steve austin who's just now getting his shit so every match we did this last time with the japanese matches as well seeing the old gunslinger get put away by the new guy this is stone cold steve austin coming in town to put away brent hart he doesn't know it yet brent hart is this close to being in wcw
1: and it's, and it's another, it's like, it's like Joey's match. It's another passing the torch match. Like you don't realize it when you're a kid or like the gravity of the situation, I guess, but it is another pass the torch match. Like it's like the end of an era kind of thing. Like when Robbie yeah. Piper passed the torch to Bret Hart and then Bret Hart passed it to Stone Cold Steve Austin. I, I don't, I haven't watched any of the post, steve austin neck injury matches like enough to like really pay attention to the like the difference in the styles but i know after his neck injury he kind of john cena did and had like his five moves of doom and then like the couple of things that he felt like safe doing but after his neck injury no he wasn't he wasn't the same wrestler so seeing the work in this match from him is also really cool
2: And I think both of these matches, he still does his opponent's service, even though Bret Hart's the one that wins the match. Roddy Piper, you can argue, in WrestleMania 8, should have won the match if he just would have hit Bret Hart with the ring bell. It would still have been, he still would have gotten away with it and he would have won the match. But Bret Hart didn't beat him with the sharpshooter. Bret Hart outsmarted him by kicking off the sleeper off the ropes and then pinning him that way. And the Stone Cold Mm. Bret Hart match almost ends the same way. Steve Austin could have won the match, he hits the stunner but he takes a little time gesturing to the crowd in that little split second. And gives Bret Hart enough time to kick out in the nick of time. And then again, stone cold puts him in the million dollar dream and, and Bret Hart pins him the exact same way. Only like we were saying before now it's the wily veteran outsmarting the up and comer with that move. That same move as before kick off the ropes and pin him while he's still got the sleeper hold attached.
1: Yeah. Holy
3: shit. All that from your two favorite matches. There's the connection. That's kind of awesome. The same friggin' finish.
1: The Bret Hart fan in the two of us. We know what we like. And Bret Hart, I feel
3: like he's great in the sharpshooter, but I love his surprise victories. Like anything of a small package gets me. Oh, that's
1: (laughs) 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 terrible phrasing. Oh, that'll be. this episode, we talk about Bret Hart's small package.
4: Hey, hey, don't feel bad. There's people out there that love them, I hear.
2: It gets cold in Canada. Come on. (laughs) But I do, I want to note one uh, one thing about these two matches, and then we'll move on to the last one too. But I mean, this is, and this is a note to all of modern wrestling. And this is, I think I've harped on this point before. Finishers don't need to end all your matches. And you don't need spot after spot after spot. Like, this match isn't a collection of spots. They're just telling stories instead of just high spot after high spot. Young box.
1: It's, uh, and it's, <laughs> oh, like, this era of wrestling is is probably my favorite. The, the 1990, like, the 90s wrestling is, oh, my God. It was, like, it really was, like, going back in time and going, holy shit, this used to be so good. What the fuck happened?
2: Oh yeah, that's right. Ninety six, ninety seven. WWE was really good. Which, on that note, Marlon... <laughs>
3: uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you there. Nineties WWE, their main event roster was really good. You had the Rock, you had Austin, Bret Hart, those guys. But their mid cards,
1: man, they fucking Ooh, drag ass. Yeah, right.
2: I'll concede so, that point.
1: Uh, Sam, I, I I don't have, I don't have any valid. Points to argue against it. Zero. Zilch, none. Uh, nada. Okay. So. met
3: me if Minion. Yeah.
2: Mark Merrill. Mark Merrill had a career.
3: It was a career.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> it was fucking there. Sable had a better one, but it was there. With that regard, let's go to the true greatest era of WWE, and that is the early to mid 90s with Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart at WrestleMania 12, the quintessential Shawn Michaels Bret Hart match before you know what. Which is, of course, Bret Hart's finally coming into his own. He comes in with his jacket. He has his glasses. Shawn Michaels has to one-up him. Comes in on a friggin' zip line. Now, I was sold on Shawn Michaels already before this, but this just had me double down. I was sold the moment I played, uh, I believe it was Royal Rumble for the Sega Genesis, and I heard his entrance music for the first time, and his moves have like little hearts on it and crap. So, Shawn Michaels has been my favorite since the Sega Genesis days. So... I love Bret Hart almost as much. Shawn Michaels has that one edge in that he's just a better talker and better performer and better storyteller. In that all that shit I said about Roddy Piper earlier, imagine Roddy Piper could actually wrestle and you have Shawn Michaels. <laughs> that, and that's 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 why I chose this one. You have a great story. You have Shawn Michaels being the greatest heel ever, which he reminds me why I love heels so much. They're just the better characters. They get to do more shit. They faces like Bret Hart from like. The 90s, the 80s, now, they just, hi, I'm here. I'm from so-and-so, and and I'm here to be a good guy. Thank you very much. And Bret Hart was just another one of those to me. He's great in the ring, but it's like, that's nice. What's what's your thing? He has broken hearts. He has hearts all over him. I get the heart thing. But Shawn Michaels really sells it. Shawn Michaels really sells the heartbreak thing. Mind you, Bret Hart was the real-life cheat, but that's another story. Love (laughs) them both. Love this match. (laughs) Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart tore the roof off the place. Shawn Michaels always had the greater edge to me in that you could give him a microphone and he will kill it. Give it back to Bret. Uh...
1: So what Marlon's trying to say is this is not his favorite Bret Hart match. It's his favorite Shawn Michaels match. Bret Hart <laughs> just happens to be in it. And
4: I thought you were going to say this isn't my favorite Bret Hart match. This is just a tribute. Can I remember uh...
1: my favorite Bret Hart match in the world? We, we actually go, we have gone back and forth our entire relationship for the last, how long have we known each other? 17 years? Uh, about who is better, Bret Hart or Shawn Michaels. And he always says Bret Hart, and he always brings up this match. And he always brings up the entrance, and the promo, and the this, and the that. And I don't care what you say, Bret Hart is the better all-around performer than Shawn Michaels. He's a better wrestler. Mm -hmm. He's more interesting. I enjoy him way more. I'm sorry. I know I'm alone (laughs) in that camp, but I'm okay with that.
3: Name one quintessential Bret Hart WrestleMania entrance.
1: He wasn't flashy. He was a technical wrestler. (laughs) Name one quintessential Chris Benoit entrance. Come on. One (laughs) where the audience
4: all shouted out in unison balls. (laughs) The one where he didn't show up. Uh, no,
0: that's
1: I, that was that was that was that was actually that was the ECW pay per view. He was supposed yeah. to win the ECW title at that pay per view, and then John Morrison actually won the title and took his place in that match. Arguably, so, John Morrison probably wouldn't have had the career that he had if that didn't happen. And I know oof. that that's kind of
3: <laughs> oh, put a microphone at him for a second.
1: I mean, I mean, think about it. He was—he wasn't even on the card for that match, for that pay-per-view, and then he is now in the main event for the ECW title. Yeah, no, that was—that's the only thing that saved John Morrison's career. He'd be an AEW fucking falling off the top rope like Evan Bourne, Matt Seidel, whatever the <laughs> fuck his name is. That's where he'd be if Chris Benoit was still alive.
3: That's kind of scary, though.
1: My
3: personal though. I mean, opinion. Chris Benoit essentially died for his career, and <laughs> that kind of blows. This is as far as he's got.
2: So Andy and I were just talking. Andy and I were just talking about Arturo Gotti and boxing. How he would have just kept going, until eventually, like he would have just kept boxing until he literally just fell face flat in the ring, and either they made him quit or he was made to quit by nature itself. So you're mm-hmm. saying that Chris Benoit would have been made to quit or life would have just quit for him?
3: Absolutely. Chris Benoit would have died in the ring anyway. I feel Same with Eddie Guerrero. Those guys, they no, they weren't going no. right, to retire. Undertaker, I'm scared, is still going to die in the ring. I don't trust him not to come back. Oh, <laughs> he's definitely coming
1: yeah. back. I was going to say, doesn't he have plans to come back for Survivor Series? Oh, God. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> That's what I said when I saw it. I was like, are you fucking kidding me?
2: like yeah I was in an interview note. with
4: his uh with his girlfriend wife, I don't know if they're married or not um, wife, yeah, okay, but yeah, she was talking about it's like yeah since he retired, he
2: doesn't know what to do with himself <laughs> he really doesn't they say that about a lot of athletes, but I mean that that boneyard match was such a high note, just end like I get it, but like, <laughs> just, just win your Super Bowl and leave like fucking go it's so hard, I know it's hard, but I mean, going back to this match and going back to the Susie Marlin argument, Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels, how I personally view it, because you have the Bret Hart line about how he never injured anybody in any one of his matches over his career. And I think that's mm-hmm. the that's statement I remember. So I would say that Bret Hart is the best worker probably of all time based on that statement because I really, and also I'm a fan of him, so obviously I'm biased, but I would also say Shawn Michaels isn't the best worker, but he's the most talented that worker there has ever been. So Sean, Sean Michaels talent far is goes far beyond Bret Hart. Sean Michaels is probably the was Sean Michaels was made to be a professional wrestler. He can do everything you need him to. And this match, this match is so good. I mean, there's a lot of wrestles because they have, they have an hour to go through but I mean there's they, they reward you with some spots. There's the spot where Bret Hart's lying on the lap of the guy in the timekeeper and all of a sudden Shawn Michaels super kicks the other guy in the face because Bret Hart gets out of the way. Then there's the back <laughs> body drop over the ring post out of the ring, which for yeah. a second like, oh my god, are the steps there? Shawn Michaels is dead if the steps <laughs> are there.
3: <laughs> and then he landed on his head. it was crazy
2: exactly and then the the next like the last 10 minutes are a thrill to watch and then brett hart gets the sharpshooter i think with about 45 seconds left and Shawn michaels just fi- fights it off to the point and then then there's the overtime where he gets the couple super kicks in because then it becomes more of the moment but this match was an outstanding precedent because it's the first real iron man match on a big giant stage it's it's not. I don't think it was the first ever Iron Man match, and I wouldn't say it's the best ever Iron Man match that I personally seen. But it set the precedent, and it was on. It was at WrestleMania, so it's it's tough. For, so I would say that I, this one is probably my number one. Ninety six Survivor Series is probably my number two. WrestleMania eight, as much as I love it, is probably the number three in this list. If I guess mm. I had to go through all three.
1: I agree. With, I can agree with that list. I can, if we're, because we have to rank them, we have to have a unanimous ranking. So I, yeah. I can, I can live with that. I, Bret Hart has so many good matches, like fantastic matches. Mm-hmm. I think, I think we all kind of picked our favorites. I think that's the trend is that we keep picking well, our favorites, which I'm fine with. I, we can argue why we're all wrong about our favorite things forever. It's one of my favorite things personally.
3: Mine so, too. I
1: think we all picked our favorite matches. Instead of like objectively the best matches. So I can I can mm-hmm. live with that. I'm fine with that.
3: Well, that's the only way we can do it. There's been so many matches, so you just kinda of pick up cherry pick your favorites and then criticize them against each other in some kind of battle dome we have going here for our three favorite matches. In in that regard, <laughs> yeah, Roddy Piper's gonna come dead last. Of course he's gonna come dead last because he's not that good of a wrestler. He's he's always been good at yelling at people. He's always been good at shit talking, but he's not that good of a wrestler. He's gonna be dead last. Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. A number one because I love Steve Austin. Just he's not the, perfor- the performer that Shawn Michaels is, even when his neck wasn't broken. He, Steve Austin, will never be a Shawn Michaels. Sorry to say it to the guy, he'll sell more merch. He's really good at that. But Shawn Michaels, no, Shawn Michaels is king. And here he is doing the freaking pose with the belt and shit. I'm watching it right now. Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart number one. Oh, I guess that'll be the end of our episode. Speaking of Iron Man match, little clue there. That's another. Favorite match of mine, so we'll be seeing that pop up again in our list. Best Things in Wrestling. Alright, Best things in Wrestling, run around, go, go, go. Susie, your favorite thing in wrestling since you said it first.
1: Shotzi Blackheart hosting Halloween Havoc. I Uh, I didn't watch I didn't watch all of Halloween Havoc. I watched like a match with my dad because I was hanging out with my dad and we watched that. And I, I love her. I love her personality. I love her in-ring energy. I would love to see her make a transition to, like, a manager's role or even commentary. Because she has a lot of personality that could be used out of the ring as well that they're kind of sleeping on. And watching her kind of—she ran the show. She has been doing all month long her favorite 31 horror movies on Instagram, which I think yeah. is how she ended up hosting it was her all the stuff that she does on Instagram. She goes to Halloween horror nights. She went to Mickey's not so scary Halloween party cuz they're in Florida. I don't know, I've been to Florida. It's pretty about... scary. She was talking about all her favorite Halloween movies, and then now she hosted Halloween Havoc. And I just, I enjoyed her presence. I enjoy her, I always enjoy her energy and her presence and her outfits and everything that she had to offer. I really enjoyed that, and I'm excited to actually sit down and watch the entire show uh, (laughs) once I have the time. Because I just, I just enjoy her, her presence and energy so much.
3: How about a GM Shotzi Blackheart? Shotzi Blackheart calling the shots on NXT?
1: I'd love that. That would be fantastic.
3: Like maybe like with William Regal or something. William Regal is injured. Who's going to call the shots? It's Shotzi Blackheart.
1: I'd I buy it. <laughs> I really would.
3: Joey, your favorite thing in wrestling this week?
2: So I got a couple. Um, I have to speak for Tony because Tony did message me. Uh, his favorite thing in wrestling was hearing Scorpio Sky okay. on the Colt Cabana podcast talk about... How when he talked with Cody Rhodes backstage back when uh, Cody was in WWE and how he would chew on gummy bears but spit them out because he was worried about having the same genetics as his dad. (laughs) Even though you're still you're still decently ingesting sugar just because you don't swallow it. If you're chewing on it, that sugar still does go (laughs) into your system there, Cody Rhodes. I'd like to take him out back and explain that to him. (laughs) But the other two things um on for me personally, a e w Dynamite, which I don't think was the greatest show. I think the town hall was was dumb, but m j f ripping on Sammy Guevara in the beginning of that show on Dynamite, I thought was hilarious. But also, I will echo Susie and at the risk of sounding a bit sexist because I didn't love her her tank introduction and I, and some of her matches I don't love, but holy cow, I mean, Shotzi Blackheart god damn it was beautiful I might become a fan I didn't realize like wow
1: it, I told you that was it was beautiful just her energy and her presence and the way she, yeah. she carries herself and the way that she speaks it was it was fantastic I would love to see her make a transition to a non wrestling role and maintain her character. I would love that.
3: like she's a better page than Paige.
1: <sighs> yeah, she is.
2: <laughs> she is one gorgeous human being. Though, holy cats!
3: Did you just look <laughs> at your TV for the first time? Like, did you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> holy cats!
2: <laughs> I I'm trying not to, but like they because they did close ups on her, and I think she was really in her element with the horror thing. Mm-hmm. But. I mean, some of this, some of the one, some of the outfits they had her in were wow. And then the fact that, like Susie said, the energy she's playing off of, and of course the WWE like close ups that they do, I mean, she <laughs> she is one attractive human being.
1: I, there's also that.
2: Kelly, I... <laughs> I think you need to like lift your jaw back up. I couldn't on Wednesday night. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh that's you see joey like it's so, it's like the cartoon where you have to get the sardine can lid and roll the jaw back up that was joey uh, on Wednesday.
2: i <laughs> mean she can be in the tank now that's fine i'll watch her now anyway i
1: love you joey i love you so much <laughs> all right
4: well i guess uh,
2: uh you know what drew's here i'm gonna include you
3: drew what is your favorite thing in wrestling this week
4: so my favorite thing in wrestling this week is actually gonna be jake hagar fighting in bellator 250 winning in a split decision. Yeah.
3: Holy crap! He's still doing that. Yep. Wow. Everything resting this week is fighting out that Jake Hager is still MMA fighting.
4: He's winning. But, yeah, it was I, a it was a split decision. It was a pretty close fight. Unfortunately, we've only been able to right? read about it so far. He's still undefeated, right? I don't. I don't know anyone that's beat him.
3: You hmm? know what? That's why not use that freaking gimmick. That's the time to use the all American American arrogant bullshit. And now he's like, yeah, I'm Jake Hager, and I fight people. No, be arrogant. Be loud. Now's the time you've earned that shit. Be cocky.
4: I kind of respect him a little bit more for not, like, you know, doing that. You know, it's like the anti-Lesnar. I'm going to try to build credit on my capability in this industry, not on my success in a different one.
3: Yeah, but his capability in this industry sucks. Yeah, but so does
4: Lesnar's to a certain extent.
3: No, no, that Lesnar deserves his own episode. Lesnar is amazing. Lesnar and Paul Lesnar can do certain
4: things amazingly, but he has to be augmented in other areas. (laughs) There's a reason that he was given Paul Heyman. There's a reason he only does a few shows a year. There's a few reasons that he has done the exact way he has done, and a lot of creative thought went into making him look the way he does. He does not stand alone.
3: That's true. And that's why he's better. Jake Hager is so boring. He's with, he's with Chris Jericho. He's surrounded by dudes, and he's still boring. He's surrounded by dudes and crutches to lean on, and he's still, I'm the boring big guy. He kind of went backwards. Whenever Batista started out as, working with Devon and carrying his shit around, Jake Hager backslid his way into that parking lot. That's where he is again. He has to start over from scratch.
4: And don't get me wrong. Lesnar's, like I said, very good at what he does. Very, very good at mm-hmm. what he does. But, I mean, hell, I think we can all agree part of the reason that Lesnar's interesting is when we hear about him getting angry and yelling and throwing shit in the back, we don't know when it's real and when it's actually just part of the story.
3: <laughs> That's part of it for me. But I, I feel like Lesnar.
4: He's Lesner, a great like athlete, him. an absolutely phenomenal athlete, a good fighter. He knows how to sell a fight. He's not afraid to take a hit. He's not afraid to give a hit. Those are all his strong points. Yeah, and you played it up. He appears to have the talking capability and personality of a silent film. The
2: only the only thing I would counter to that, Andy, is I would say one of the best, and actually now we're on this point, uh, the best Iron Man match I have ever seen is Kurt Angle against Brock Lesnar on a SmackDown. Mm, that is the best Iron Man match, and that's Brock Lesnar. Compare that to the best <clears throat> Jake Hagar slash... Jack Swagger match, and I don't think they would compare. That's the only problem.
4: Oh J- no, I'm not saying yeah. that Jake Hagar is not worse than Lesnar. Jake Hagar is not as good as Lesnar. No,
2: it's Matt wrestling. Before. They are because I think <laughs> Jake Hagar is a national champion, if I remember from college, either that or he is an All American. But so an actual... uh, he is
1: he was, he actually was a two time All American.
4: Yeah, I was gonna yes, say no, that's... he's an All American. I don't know if he's a national champion though. That makes it worse.
3: <laughs> that makes it worse. It makes it worse because, like you said, Brock Lesnar is playing to his strengths. What did Roddy Piper do? He played to his strengths. He's not the greatest wrestler in the world, but he could tell a good story. He could yell his ass off. Brock Lesnar is shit on the mic, but he could German suplexy for 19 minutes and make an entertaining match out of it. Jake Hager, whatever his strengths are, he's not utilizing them, and he's boring as shit because of it.
4: I don't disagree struggles- with that. I guess the question I'd ask, though, is how much of that is a bargaining position? How much of that was – because we already know how much money Lesnar is being paid by WWE and how it absolutely dwarfed everything else because, you know, McMahon was convinced he was the thing that was going to make WWE again. So you're saying like – How much of that was really just investment from the company that Lesnar got because of that
2: that maybe Hagar doesn't have the opportunity to get? Marlon, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with Andy on this point and where you say like, well, Lesnar can German suplex you a bunch of times and make it entertaining. When you're showing offense, it's more easy. It's tougher to do when you, when you have to bump for somebody. Like It's like saying like an AEW, well, Brody Lee's best match is where he squashed Cody in two minutes. Yeah, because you're just on <laughs> offense the whole time. That's easy. Cool. Show me another good Brody Lee match and I can't find a single one.
3: Alright. Well, if we're making comparisons, then Goldberg. Brock Lesnar and exactly. Randy Goldberg. Yep. And so
1: that- Goldberg is awful. So, that's mm. a terrible comparison.
3: Mm. No, objectively, you you think he's awful. You think he's awful. But ask Goldberg yourself how, how many, many of bullshit, his, has he sold okay? out. Okay?
1: It, it's bullshit. He has what? <laughs> Two moves that he comes in and does on everybody and there isn't a single fucking person that doesn't Susie? see him coming? Susie. That know how to fix that?
2: Susie.
4: Susie. You, you are actively describing Lesnar.
1: I know, <laughs> and I hate him too.
2: Lesnar's better I, than Goldberg.
4: I know, but I'm saying those exact things. Come in, says like two words, does two moves, and he's not subtle. Based yeah, on that description, exactly. I need to ask you which of the two I'm talking about. You couldn't tell the difference. Well,
3: exactly. well that's true, but we're not, we're not comparing him to Bret Hart. We're comparing him to Jake Hager, and Jake Hager can't even do that. I'm saying Jake Hager isn't even a Goldberg. Jake Hager isn't even a Brock Lesnar. Whatever Jake Hager is trying to be, despite having the real-life credentials to do it, he's not taking advantage of it. The fake guys are scary. Goldberg's not that scary in real life, but in the ring, he is. Jake Hager isn't.
2: Because you got to talk people to the arena, and Jake Hager can't talk. And no one's talking about him. The
1: most interesting thing about Jake Hager was when he was We the People, with uh, fucking ten gallon hat, whirly mustache, Zeb what the fuck
2: was Zeb Coulter, Dutch Mantel,
1: yep. Yes, 70, yeah, 70. that guy. And the most interesting thing that Jake Hager, Jack Swagger has ever done is that gimmick. That's it. Like he yeah. is like Brock Lesnar. He needs a mouthpiece. He needs a Paul Heyman, and he doesn't have that. You can surround somebody all the live long day, but unless they start absorbing. Skills and knowledge through osmosis—it's not going to matter. He needs a manager. Well, does AW really for, have right? good
4: managers for that right now? Eddie
3: Kingston, give him Eddie Kingston. Give Eddie Kingston to Jake Hager. Have him talking to Mike for him because Eddie so Kingston not... is the best mic worker I've ever heard in my life. Pretty so Jericho is not
4: good about. enough. I mean, Jericho. so uh, I'm sorry. The, the problem with Jericho is unless it somehow jerks off his ego, he doesn't give two <laughs> shit.
1: That's it. Yeah, That's it exactly. there it is.
4: And yeah, I, love I love Jericho, but God, man, that guy has the ego. Not a ego, the ego.
3: Yeah. I love Jericho, but he needs to, like, sit down and retire already himself. And he's not. He's not going to sit down and manage for Jake Hager. He's going to give it to somebody else.
2: I'm interested, okay. and this is t- – sorry to cut you off your best things in wrestling point, Marlon, but I'm very interested with the AEW fan base because I'm a, I'm a middle-of-the-pack third-party voter – but now what we're discovering that Chris Jericho has donated to the Trump campaign, what that what? means for AEW fans. Because I feel like the AEW fans are firmly more on the left. And if Jericho donating to Trump, I, I'm curious to see where that future goes.
1: I told Let you me you counter that with another question.
4: What are your thoughts on Brett Favre doing it?
2: I'm, I'm a T of their own guy. Like I said, I'm a third party voter, but... it's it's, i'm just curious to see where where it goes because i mean you have to sell people to the arena and if nobody wants to see you on their tv and turn you off it's interesting to see where
4: anyone that really knows him though and like his life outside of the ring knows that's the way he would lean i mean look at the things he does like you know going to the Sturgis rally and doing concerts there and all the other stuff he does i mean Right or wrong, I mean, I'm not here to make that statement. I'm kind of with you. People can make their own choice. But if you look at what he does outside of the ring, this isn't surprising. And if you don't look at what he does outside of the ring, what are the odds you're even going to learn or hear oh, about this?
2: I'm not. I'm not surprised by the the actions of Jericho himself or the beliefs of Jericho himself. I'm not surprised by that. What I, like I said, what I'm curious to see is the reaction from the fans. Right, and that's what I, I was trying to get to. Is that
4: if you don't know him already outside of the ring. What are the odds you're gonna learn about this? Well, like, oh, but
1: at the same but at the same time, I feel like a lot of people, and this is myself included, they're very aware of the things that people that they admire spend their money on, if that makes sense. Like I I am aware that everybody in WWE and AEW, for the most part, they're all fucking Republican Trump supporters, and it's garbage and it's bullshit, but I'm also not surprised. It's also the one hot garbage thing that I, like, allow myself. It's like, I don't I don't actively give money to anybody that supports Donald Trump with the exception of professional wrestling. This is my one indulgence, my one toxic thing. <clears throat> by one oh my god this fucking the world is full of, we're this close to fucking forced birth totalitarianism fucking surprise the white guy from canada that this doesn't affect of course he's fucking he supports donald trump because fucking he's just another white guy that doesn't give a fuck about anybody but himself surprise if anybody is surprised by that at this point I don't know what the fuck to tell them. That's my thing. It's like, of course you are. I'm not surprised. Disappointed, because of course I am. Not surprised, though, because fucking sishet white dude. Where the fuck else is he going to be? If he's not fucking cock-blocking the fucking election for his own interest, he's going to fucking give money to the person that he thinks is going to fucking save the world and his money.
3: Which makes it crazier that Randy Orton, of all people, changed and not him. I'd Randy Orton t- would t- touch his balls and shake your hand. is like, oh, man, fuck Trump. But Jericho isn't? Yeah, that's what reality did I wake up in.
1: I told you. I fucking, I warned you. told you that you don't fucking, or he, Donald Trump Jr. was on his pot, whatever the fuck happened. They were together. They were shaking hands, fucking being all buddy-buddy. And I told you then, fuck, they're in cahoots. It's bullshit. And now here we are finding out that Chris Jericho <clears throat> gave them money. Are you really surprised? Because I'm not.
3: All right, I'm going to wash out this palette with my favorite thing in wrestling this week. Because, ah, you just kind of killed my childhood a little bit. So, hey, Mankind and The Rock, I know you had a great match, and I'm going to let you finish. But Roman Reigns and Jey Uso had the greatest I quit match of all time. That was the greatest I quit match of all time. That was the one match I saw in the entire night. I sat down and made sure I could see it before I called my left and left. I was in a hurry at the time. But I made sure to finish watching this match. The story that they've been crafting together has been amazing, and I feel like it's been in their heads or at least in a notebook for years. And now because of the COVID environment, they finally get a chance to tell it. They finally get to have this thing where Roman Reigns is in a heel position. And then you have Jay as the underdog here and even bringing in his brother and how they've been used against each other, the family dynamics, bringing in their freaking wild Samoans and like crowding Roman Reigns and shit. Like, yeah, this there's some Godfather Samoan shit going on over here that a lot of people are sleeping on. And it's kind of amazing.
1: It's a Roman Reigns heel turn is the greatest thing that has happened to professional wrestling in twenty twenty. Period. Yep.
4: It's Agreed. almost like people have been saying that it needed to happen for the last half a decade. <laughs>
1: <laughs> at least we got he's... it. We never got the John Cena heel turn that we deserved. I'm glad we're getting the Roman Reigns heel turn that we deserve. I really am. And at the I'm company supporting it. him so
3: much, it's so good.
1: Yeah, I, I love it. I'm enjoying it so much. I worry about him and his health during a pandemic in Florida that doesn't give a fuck that there's a pandemic, but I'm thrilled to pieces about this feud. If they fucking stop tomorrow because Roman Reigns is going to die, if he doesn't, I'll understand. It'll suck, yeah. but I'll understand. I'm not demanding he perform, but I am enjoying it.
3: I think these were his terms. I feel like I they, think they brought... were.
1: That's what it feels like. That's what it. And him getting Paul Heyman because Brock Lesnar d- decided to fucking shit on the WWE again, which I said was gonna happen. Fucking surprise! It
4: happens every time he wants a pay raise.
1: It's he, right? He doesn't get what he doesn't get what he wants, and then he leaves. Oh fucking surprise! No, put Paul. Leave Paul Heyman with Roman Reigns. Even if he goes back to being a face or yeah. an anti-hero. Because it really is a thing of beauty. I love Paul Heyman. I'm a Paul Heyman guy. Mm. I am. Yeah. I Who isn't? Love, I love Paul Heyman. I loved ECW. I love CM Punk. I'm a Paul Heyman guy. I am, like, fucking, if there's, like, if there's fucking, like, the tit of life, if fucking and Paul Heyman and Roman Reigns are the fucking tit of life, I'm fucking there. Enjoying <laughs> every second of it. I you don't know really why, but that just conjures
4: the weird, frickin weirdest images that I had. This You're is the tits life. That Suck on the tits if you want live. to live. It's
1: a full moon. It's a, bu- it's a blue moon. I, we got to get weird today.
4: Also, yeah, can we just, on a complete side note, not related to wrestling in any way, fuck you, 2020. It's a rare blue moon and the first full moon Halloween in 76 years. And you had to go 2020 all over it.
1: How do you think I feel?
4: But that,
3: Who would like to see a Paul Haven movie? Like, after watching Rocketman over the weekend, who would like to see a Paul Heyman movie? I know I'm ready for it.
1: Like a Paul Heyman biopic? Biopic? However the fuck you say it.
3: Freaking recast all the ECW
4: guys. Oh, man. I was thinking of, like, you ever seen the movie Wag the Dog?
1: No, I haven't.
2: Oh. I was imagining him in the lead of that.
1: Yeah. Oh, man. All right, well, we're going to have to, if Joey's making that noise, we have to go watch it. All right. On
3: that note, this has been our spoopy, late as hell Halloween spooktacular episode. Get ready for Fantasy Bookers' spooktober to make to make, well, make up for it. Sorry, October was very unspooky, but no, your November will be. We're gonna get haunted by turkeys. Not sure what the next
1: episode will be.
4: Um, Maybe, we definitely if... need a highlight episode on Gobbledygooker. Gobbledygooker.
1: Mm. Oh, gobbledygooker there it episode. is.
2: Hard pass.
1: I I love I love finding out where Joey's lines are. That's my favorite thing. It's like Joey's like, and there it is. That's my line. That's my limit. Fuck you, Pete. All
3: right, so this has been Fantasy Bookers. This has been Susie. This has been Drew. This has been Joey. And this has been Marlon. Come back for another episode. Remember, this is Fantasy Bookers. And if you can do it better, do it your fucking self. I remember, if you want artwork done for your page, you can also visit Hawk at Instagram. That is mine and Susie's art page. I do art as well as talk. I do really good art. So you should check out my page if you want some artwork done there as well. And don't forget to tune in next week to Fantasy Booker's Wednesday at 8 in the morning. Bye!
0: Hello, folks. It's your old pal, Tony, from the future. And yeah, I did say that I was taking two weeks off, but I figured I might as well keep recording these little kind of go-aheads. So just letting you know that we are on... Facebook at Fantasy Bookers. We're on Instagram at Fantasy Bookers. We're on Twitter at Fantasy underscore bookers. And we would also appreciate it if you like, shared, and subscribed to this podcast because it really does help us out. We see a little bit more uh, people listening in international markets. We have a Canadian and we have a UK. So cool. Um, and There might be some more news coming down the pipe. But either way, next week we'll probably have our full gear review, which we might be recording right after the event. So we will be tired and potentially drunk. So you can look forward to that. We'll see you next week.